Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, where we equip men and women to be faithful in every aspect of life. This week, you will hear part one of Rachel Jankovic's Facebook webinar, The You Who Read Along. At the time of this recording, the You Who audiobook was not quite finished, but the good news, contrary to what Rachel says, it is available and you can get it at audible.com. Good morning. I am Rachel Jankovic here live at Canon Press to talk about my new book, You Who, Why You Matter, and How to Deal With It. Um, this is sort of a, a read-along. The idea is I've been really excited to hear so much uh, conversation about the book. I'm excited. It's not the book that I care about, but conversation about the subject of living as confident Christian women in our identity of Christ. Um, in Christ is just an exciting thing to me. This is something that I think Christian women have been confused about for a long time. And I am delighted, even with the pushback, I am delighted to hear Christian women having to articulate um, their thoughts, trying to put together their reasons for thinking some things were okay. I, it is a wonderful thing to have an open discussion about it. And so in that spirit, we wanted to do a uh, read-along. This is something I've never done. I've done webinars, but not this. This is, we'll see how this goes. This is, uh, you're welcome to ask questions. We're going to try to, um, I'm going to try to just go through the first half of the book. I doubt we'll even make it that whole way. Um, but we'll just try to cover some, sort of like if you were at a book group and this is the discussion part. This is just where we're going to talk about um, things that have come up in the reading so far. So, uh, the first thing that I wanted to clarify and talk about is that this book is written to Christian women. So my goal in writing it was to get Christian women uh, to see their identity in Christ as being the most important thing about them. And then having that shape all of your other uh, practical Christian living Things. So that's stuff that comes up all the time, practical Christian living. Uh, how should I behave about this? Uh, and in this, in the social media, we've been talking about a lot more like Pinterest things, Instagram things. We've been talking about a lot of that kind of like common, what are they telling you at the gym? Those sorts of things. Can you see the bad philosophy underneath this? So there's kind of the social media conversation and then the book. So today we're going to, we're going to, it's fine. Either one that you want to talk about is, is fine. We will talk about both of those. But because this discussion being shared with lots of people going lots of places i didn't i don't want to continue um, in it today without saying that if you do not know jesus uh, here we're talking about christian identity we're talking about the confidence you can have that you are forgiven that you are um, that you are a new creation in him and if that's not the position that you are in i don't want to pass this opportunity by to say you are invited uh, to believe on him and that being put right with God will change everything in your life. It will change all of it. So um, if you want to know Jesus and you don't, I wanted to read this passage from Romans 10. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
and so I wanted to make sure that I opened this up with an invitation that if you do not know um, God as your father and you don't know Christ as your personal savior to feel free to message me, ask about it. Uh, you are absolutely invited to come to Jesus. Uh, so even of those, even those of us who know Jesus, who have known him all along, we are still easily waylaid um, from his truth. We are easily confused and muddled. We are easily deceived. We get off on little trails. We get in trouble um, on social media. There has been some pushback from people saying that I'm being a little uptight. You know, if you bring up oils or you bring up personality testing or you bring up these practical things that Christian women have enjoyed or loved, they're going to push back and say, come on, like I'm a Christian. This is not a big deal. Why are you making this a big deal? You're so uptight. Uh, you're creating fear or you're doing whatever which is not my intention. I have no desire to create fear. Um, but what I do want to do is I think that you have to ignore a ton of scripture to think that we're not supposed to be on guard, that we're not supposed to be putting on our armor, that we're not supposed to be uh, beware lest we're deceived, that we're not supposed to be uh, beware that, that the devil is prowling about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. We're not out of like... Because you've been saved does not mean you can, You are now on cruise control for your salvation for the rest of your life. Uh, we're supposed to work out our salvation uh, with fear and trembling, not supposed to be people who work out our salvation by counting on it forever and never double-checking anything, never looking at our own lives objectively. So that's the goal of bringing up a lot of these things. We should be having this discussion. Um, so think of us as being like with Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, thinking that you know you have Christians saved at the beginning, but there's this long, this long journey to the celestial city. There's this whole walk of life where we have to go through all of these different um, trials and obstacles and changes in life, all these situations. And so, what I'm hoping that this book is to you: we're all pilgrims in our own narrative. We're all pilgrims in our own life, um, seeking to follow God. And I hope that this book will be in your life like one of those random characters in Pilgrim's Progress that appears, uh, that come alongside weary travelers. It says something that reminds them of their first love, that reminds you uh, to stay faithful, to stay on the path, to not be deceived. Uh, I think of that wonderful passage in Pilgrim's Progress where Pilgrim is in the castle of doubt, right? And the giant despair is keeping him prisoner. And it is when, oh man, I can't remember which character comes along. Be a, might be Evangelist or maybe Mr. Greatheart or someone. Someone, one of those great characters comes along and says to him that the key has been in your pocket all along. You've been in bondage, but you have what you need to be free. And so there's no, there's no excuse for Christian women to let each other live in bondage to things that are not the gospel, that is, that is not. Christ and him crucified. So that's what I'm hoping this book will be. I'm hoping that it equips uh, women who've had concerns about things that are happening with their friends or in their, you know, women who feel a little off about things. I hope it helps give you the words to have these discussions. Um, and I hope that it inspires a lot of fruitful and God-honoring conversation. So that's an intro to the topic and why we're here. Uh, I will just start, we'll look at some, let's see what's happening here with all these comments. Um, I don't see any questions yet. Jake, we didn't think about this, that putting a lot of comments in here <laughs> um, with that are not necessarily questions. Okay, so chapter one, we will start with the chapter one. Okay, I think the big takeaway from chapter one that I am hoping uh, will be a big takeaway is that hard words are not just here for the sake of hard words. I am not, um, 
lest I know some of you already getting spicy about the Enneagram conversation or saying, she's just a challenger. She's a number eight. Um, I wanted to say right at the outset that hard words are something that I personally love, but not because I've never been the recipient of them. I love them because I have been the recipient of them, and I know the fruit that hard words produces. So many times, probably in my life, um, I have thought at those times, I most thought, what I really need is some encouragement. I'm feeling discouraged. I am, you know, all I need is someone to, you know, say something nice to me. This is what I really need. In almost all of those situations, what I genuinely needed was the cold backhand of rebuke, right? And and when some faithful Christian, when my husband, when some Bible verse slapped me in the face with my unbelief, that is a moment that I look back on with such fondness and such joy because those are the moments when you see that God really has you, that you that uh, that he's kind to send these things to you. So I don't embrace hard words just because I like to be mean. I don't like to be mean. I don't love conflict all by itself, but I love the fruit of women um, considering these things. And, that's, and that is why I'm willing to have people be mad at me about it. It's, it is worth doing. The fruit is worth it. Uh, okay, so well, this is what my grandpa always said in chapter one, that hard words make soft hearts and soft words hard hearts. And I think we have in the Christian women's world, we have an abundance of soft words and an abundance of hard hearts. And I would love to see us switch that around and have the hard words, the real hard truths that point to Christ and the soft hearts that is the fruit of that. Um, so this first chapter is just all about why why I'm okay with the fact that this is not a, it, well, I think it's an encouraging book, um, and I know some of you think it's an encouraging book, but why it is not what we have, what we tend to expect from something that would be labeled encouraging. Um, we, we're kind of by default expecting someone to come in and say, you are beautiful, and you're perfect as you are, and God loves you, and he's just so greedy that you don't think you're beautiful and then that's not what I'm doing here and and um, so right off the bat don't expect that from this book just just come in with realistic expectations and um, okay another section from chapter one is uh, I'll read this little short bit when I write about knowing who you are what you're for what the self is and isn't and why it matters I'm writing in the abstract for the most part but but I am also writing about something that I know personally I want you to understand that what I have, you have. What I know, you can know. He who holds me holds you. I'm not claiming that a life lived with a full sense of Christian identity is a sinless life. Aren't you glad, guys? Aren't you glad I'm not claiming that? Um, that Not by a long shot. I've told you I've always known who I am, and I can tell you just between us that I have always been a sinner. This side of the grave, there will never be perfection, but there can be great joy and hope and honesty and laughter and purpose and delight. Uh, so this is what I'm hoping, that you'll stick with the book, that you'll stick with the hard words uh, to get through to purpose and joy and, and delight in God, in his purposes, in his laws, and in the things he's prepared for you to do. Okay, well, I should probably check if we have any questions that I need to deal with before we move on. Um, Catherine, might you consider a study guide or discussion questions to go with the book? We probably we probably should do that. <laughs> we might consider it right after this Facebook Live. We'll, we'll see. Uh, Liz, thanks for doing this, Rachel. Excited to read the book. Good. Thank you. Got it right yesterday. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, Deborah Beecham, it's breaking up. Jake, that's your problem, not my problem. 
Um, okay, Catherine, how do you approach Disney films with your kids? Okay, I one thing that I would say about that is that we, I do typically, we do typically let our kids watch, not, not all of them probably, but they have seen Disney movies. Uh, but we let them see it. One, one of them, I can't remember which one it was. It's probably Moana. It's one of the newer ones that we said, sure, watch it. But then we want you to come bring us a list of all the things that were lies in it. And they came up with a whole sheet of a legal pad. The whole kids had been brainstorming the whole time about all the lies from Moana. Um, and so what we try to do is so say when Frozen came out and that really catchy, really catchy song there, right? Um, why can't I think of what it is called, what the catchy song from Frozen is called? Let it go. Thank you. Thanks, Jake. <laughs> uh, let it go. Because that song, so it's so catchy, the kids are all immediately, immediately singing it. And so we were just like, oh, hey, that's not our song. That's not our people. This is not what we're about. That's, this is something, I do not mind you seeing that, but I want you to see it with critical eyes. And I don't want you to absorb it like, oh, this is my favorite. I feel so great when I'm singing this song because, because it's not Christian. That's fine. So uh, that's how we deal with that. And if it's really overt, we really would talk about the teaching in it. All right, uh, Jennifer, do you think a lot of the reasons that we give women soft words all the time is because we're in a lot of, we, in a lot of ways, infantilize women in an attempt to shield them from consequences? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I also think that many, many women are just scared of other women, scared scared of conflict, scared of what people will think of them. And so the safe bet is always to tell people they're beautiful. Who's going to get mad at you about that? No one. No one's going to be mad at you um, if you say, you're just so beautiful. I mean, no, no woman is going to be, get away from me. But if you say, hey, you need to repent, <laughs> turns out nobody wants you there after all. Uh, okay, the page number is was seven where I read that section was page number seven. Um, okay. Question. So the monkey chapter, can you talk more about feelings and what they're for? Yes. Is the monkey chapter, the monkey chapter. Um, I think that's in the, is that in the back half or is it in the front half? Hmm. It's in the back. That will be next week. I'll try to cover that next week. Um, okay. Yes. You would love for this to be accessible on Kindle and audiobooks. Yes. And the reason the audiobook is delayed is because I got a radical cold that changed my voice and then Jesse would not accept my recordings in that condition. So Kindle's up. Kindle is available, but the audiobook, uh, oh look, everybody knew it was let go. Everybody's got a word for me. Um, Okay, can you address the Bible passages on spiritual gifting? I agree that we need to emphasize obedience in all circumstances, but what about the beauty of God's individual creation and gifting? Yes, um, that I have to say that writing this book, ooh, Sean wants you to sing it. Sing it, Jake, sing it. Um, so so the, when I was writing this book, one of the things that has been fun about doing the social media side is that the book could be so enormous because the subject of your life, Christian identity, everything that you do in life um, is pretty huge as it turns out. So there kept being chapters that I would start and then I'd be like, oh my word, this is a whole separate, this is a whole separate book. Um, and one of those was body life, our place in the body. So there will be more about that friendship, envy, body life, um, where you, how you belong in the body. But for the, for the purposes of this book, I stuck with the, 
with the cultural ideas around philosophy of the self and then working towards um, what is a Christian vision of the self. And I didn't get to the whole second, maybe that's the second volume, volume two, uh, body life and friendship. Uh, okay. Jake cannot sing. He just didn't do it, Sean, when I when I mentioned that. I didn't hear him burst into song. Uh, <laughs> Jake can't be reached at this time. Nice. Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. So that was chapter one. We'll move on to chapter two. Okay. The beginning of this book is a little, I think it's a little bit rugged because we have to talk about philosophy, which for many of us, we have not ever spent time really thinking actively about philosophers. So when I, I remember it was in college, I put this in the book somewhere. In college, I had to write, I wrote a paper on the philosophy of the self, which college was a long time ago for me now. This has been a long time that this has been on my mind. Um, and I was so appalled by everything I read about the philosophy of, of the self that it ended up being, it was really funny how much that annoyed me. And I wrote a paper on it, but then throughout the rest of my life, I keep, it just is like the subject that won't go away. It's you just keep seeing how much this is affecting um, everything in our culture. So one example I use in this, I think, is how many of us have heard someone say ever, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even know. I don't even know who I am anymore. And, it, and it's over, oftentimes it's a little change. You know, there's a change in your life. Like now you're a mother or um, now you're married. I don't even know. I lost my identity. I lost myself. And this is all just, it is just a straight fruit of unbelieving philosophies that we think that way, that we think in terms of I lost track of myself or I've done this. So what I'm trying to do in these early chapters is back up and address what are the philosophical assumptions that got um, just the world at large to where it is today. So... I've been quoting this verse constantly, it seems like, in all of this discussion, but in Colossians 2.4, now I say this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, and then a minute later in 2.8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. You have to be aware of it, that you're even, I think what's happened mostly with Christians is that we don't even know we're in the marketplace for philosophy. We don't even know we're having that discussion, and we're being cheated in our philosophy purchases. Um, so what I try to explain in this chapter two is about how the philosophy of world, even if you don't read philosophers, even if you don't think you're affected by that, you're still living downstream of that. And many of, we just talked about Disney movies. That's a ton of uh, unbelieving philosophy that is informing uh, the ideals in those movies. Uh, it's true for every show you're probably that you're involved in. It's true in our public discourse. There are things that are just assumed that are unbiblical. Um, and so we need to like actually stop and look at it. It's like I compare it to the high fashion world. You might not think those things on the runway are affecting your life because they're overtly silly and weird, uh, but they actually are. It's what you're buying in the clearance bins. Um, so that's the way it is. It's what, you're, it's what you are involved in even though you don't really understand it. Um, so some of the questions that I try to bring up that that our philosophy has informed these problems would be um, things like follow your own heart, like follow your heart, uh, let, uh, let everyone else have that freedom to follow their heart. Uh, the, the questions about don't people have the authority to make whatever decision they want to make about their life. 
uh, I used the example about when I was in high school and I went to a store that was brand new and it was beautiful. It was in Colorado and it was, and it was really lovely. It was these huge black and white ships and everything. Um, on in on the walls and I bought some stuff and then later I came home so I this was before Abercrombie and Fitch had even really been seen all I knew at that time it was like a safari brand and I got their first catalog in the mail that that opened up with this big catalog with horrible pictures in it it was very bad and uh, but the opening lines was let's face it we're all just looking for someone to sleep with over spring break and suddenly i saw my hat that said abercrombie in a different light i'm like oh no that's not me that's not what i meant to be part of this is not what i was this is not what i was going for here um, and i think that it we're in that position with philosophy we don't know what the actual teaching is we don't think about the fact, where did this idea come from? Why did we just assume it? Um, and instead, instead we end up with this, this weird tangle where we take as fact things that come from unbelief. So there's the, if the premise is there is no Father God, and we walk away with just kind of the fruit of that, and we don't realize that that's connected to that. That's what I'm saying. Christians, pay attention to that, because we would then uh, reject that philosophy. Uh, okay, so unbelieving philosophies of the self uh, begin with the assumption that there is no Father God. That's what we're starting. That's their beginning point. Um, but if you take away, this is why Paul says don't be cheated. You obviously have an opportunity here to be cheated. Your opportunity is to let them take away the idea of a Father God and give you in, that, in place of that maybe chaos or meaninglessness or self-made will or something, some other thing than the Father God. You have nothing uh, to gain and everything to lose in this exchange. Um, the world uses philosophy, even if they aren't, even if they're not actively thinking of it as philosophy, as a replacement for religion. So what it's, it's an understanding of the first things, of the most important things. And so when you have any kind of crisis in your life, any kind of difficulty, any kind of obstacle, what we return to is our understanding of the most important things. What we return to is, um, for Christians, it ought to be our faith. For the world, it is their understanding of the world, which is their philosophy. But if we've been letting in a lot of that, it starts to be Christians falling back on unbelieving philosophy when we're, when we're having some kind of obstacle um, in our life. So, you turn to the things, uh, your deeply held beliefs to help you through hard times, which is why it's really important that we know clearly what our deeply held beliefs are and are not. Okay, so chapter three. I'll double check here that we got all of our, that I answered any question. Uh, the church really has no idea how much of the enlightenment has permeated the church and how much reformation we reject in order to embrace these things. Amen. Uh, Roberta, the philosophy chapter was very edifying. In order to understand the points you're making, the information about the philosophers you covered was needed. Thank you. Uh, I've experienced the Abercrombie and Fitch effect. Good. Me too. Nothing like a little shock. Um, okay. So chapter three, the philosophy start. Um, this, oh, I guess I, this is the chapter where I talk about having seen it everywhere um, since that time. So this is part of what, I say this in the book, and this is part of what inspired the social media department of Hell No, uh, pulling things that you see all the time in your life to just say, this isn't what the chapter is about, it's not all those examples, it's what I've been doing on social media, uh, just 
to try to point out how very present it is in our regular life. How much, if you're not actively talking about this, what do you think your children are going to absorb? What do you think they're going to learn about that our deepest held beliefs are? Believe in yourself. <laughs> like our deepest held beliefs are you can do anything so long as you really want to, um, or any kind, anything like that. With our kids will be absorbing this, and we absorb it. I think, I think so many Christian women think they're not affected by it because they notice that it's stupid. But when you hear it over and over, it's a it's a logical fallacy repetition. It's the same thing as brainwashing someone. You hear it over and over and no matter how dumb it is, you still think it's that it must be something to it because I hear it everywhere. Um, okay, if you're not super interested in philosophy naturally, I'm telling everyone, sorry, deal with it. Just, just for a few chapters, pay attention to philosophy and think about it uh, because I believe Christian women today, we are suffering uh, from the consequences of horrible uh, philosophies. We have all these Christian women who don't know who we are. We don't know why we matter. We don't know how to walk through our lives with purpose and meaning. We don't know how to be. We just don't know. We can't figure it out. And so that's why we're looking to those dumb um, things at the gym to help us because they claim that they know how we can be. They claim that they know how we can walk with purpose and and all. They they claim some kind of understanding that we feel ourselves missing. Uh, so one of the things that I try to talk about in this chapter is just that some of the nature of the philosophical question. When we change, are you the same person that you are before? You know, say. Um, you look at a picture of yourself when you're five. Are you the same person? Uh, an ancient puzzle here was the ship of Theseus, which is about the ship of Theseus. <laughs> that it says it leaves port and goes on a long journey. And in the course of the journey, every part of the ship uh, fails at some point and is replaced. So when every part is replaced and it goes on this long journey, when it comes back to port, no original parts are still on the ship. Is it the same ship? That's the question. Is this the same ship? And most people would say, well, yes, because it has some continuity. It has, you know, it's the same thing. Um, and so the second half of the, of the puzzle is, what if someone was sailing along behind it, picking up all the discarded parts and assembling the original part? Uh, then you have two ships. Which one is the real ship of Theseus? Now, it's not um, such a big deal if we don't know the answer to the ship, but the parallels to the human life are pretty huge. Every cell in your body pretty much replaces itself. You you don't look the same. You're not the same. You're made up of different things. You think differently than you thought when you were a five-year-old. Uh, are you the same person? Is there some essential you in there uh, that can change or be moved or be lost? Um, how do we know? How do we know um, that the essential you or where it is or what it means or how it, how it survives change, uh, et cetera? So... The way the world answers these questions, obviously, I hope you're all thinking, duh, we believe in the soul, which is a component that is shockingly lacking from that ship of Theseus discussion, um, which is true. We do believe in the soul, and we believe that we're created by God, and that that's the self that you're given, and that um, through our lives, in, in the Christian life, throughout your life, you should be coming, if you're following Christ, you will be coming more and more who you were created to be, and you will never be more truly you than you will be in heaven, right? When we get there, 
is when we are finally what we were created to be. And so all of our sanctification process here, um, as we follow Christ, we're becoming more who we were made to be. Now, in the, in the, I think I wandered from this chapter. Uh, that's what I do sometimes. I wander from these things. Uh, okay, but the problem, the problem with the unbelieving philosophy is that if you don't believe you have a soul and it's just some other essence, that, that's a real question. Where does it come from? Is it destroyed through change? And the Christian position is if someone sustains a, bread, a brain injury, and they're brain dead or or they are in a coma they are no less who they were created by god than than any of us right but if you believe that the essential you is somehow in your mind or um you know if you believe that it is some other place that's curated by you then there's a very different discussion very different discussion that you see in the world um all the time so i think when we'll see the compromise with unbelief is when we see Christians who say, yes, I have a soul that was created by God. Yes, I have that, but I still can't handle change. I can't handle trial. I don't know where to turn because we don't understand that we're, that we're assuming unbelieving philosophy while believing uh, in Christ. It's kind of a mashup of unbelief and then it's not a helpful one. Okay. Um, see, Shana, you see it everywhere. Thanks a lot. Yes, you're welcome. I'm sure you'll love seeing it everywhere. Uh, Janet, just wondering if you have any practical tips on how to respond to other women in our churches who post and reveal they've bought into the lies. I do, Janet. I do have some practical tips. And I am, um, Canon is going to do, we're going to do a like, almost like a worksheet on how to uh, go about starting the conversation, how to know you're qualified to talk about it, how to, um, I'll give you a little hot tip right now. The way you know you're qualified is that you don't want to do it. You know you're qualified to confront a friend when you're not anxious to get out there and do it. Um, and I'm going to do a little thing about how to pray through that, what to look for, what to, what to go for. Um, and so, so yes, there will be more. Just follow Canon and you'll see it when it comes out. Uh, Allison, amen, didn't realize how much I was affected by it. I see it everywhere now. That's great. I'm so glad. I'm sorry in some ways, but not really at all. Uh, Catherine, also feeling more aware of it now, which means I'm more alert to it, hopefully better equipped to respond. Amen. Uh, Abby, I have several Christian friends eating this dumb stuff up. How do you practically talk to someone spouting all this self-care nonsense? I see and hear it everywhere now, too, and I don't know how to not step up onto my soapbox. Uh, can you give a one-minute response to someone who says something that needs the pants on fire emojis thrown at them? Yes, what I would do, unless it's a dear friend that you know you can just call them immediately and say, what kind of nonsense do I see on your Facebook feed, um, which it probably isn't that person. It's probably someone that you feel close enough to to be really bothered by this, but not close enough to to be confident it would be well-received. So in that case, what I would do is just message them and say, hey, I'm really concerned about some of the stuff I'm seeing on your Facebook feed. If you're willing to talk about it, please let me know. And then that way the burden is on them to say, yes, I would like to hear. You know that you have opened it up sometimes. Uh, I will just pray. Um, I will pray like, Lord, give me an opportunity. If you want me, if you want me to say something, give me the opportunity uh, give me the eyes to see it and give me the courage to take it. Like this is, I know that I need to. And then the, otherwise, what I'll try to put on the sheet is more things about how to, 
how to know, don't bury your concern in so many compliments that the person you're telling will never notice that you were concerned in there. That's a, that's a feminine uh, desire to say, you know nothing could ever affect our friendship, but, but no, it can. It should affect your friendship if your friend is, is wandering uh, away from the gospel. Okay, there will be more on that later. Uh, Alyssa, biblical illiteracy is an epidemic. I agree with that uh, a lot. One of the things I notice is how much, if you're in the word, a lot of these things just clonk so badly. They don't sound good. They don't, nothing about it is appealing. So in that case, I, I, uh, I would recommend that you just get back, get back to the word, soak yourself in the word and, and do it for the rest of your life. All right, Rebecca, we don't know how to be wives or we feel we don't know how to be a mom. Yes, that is true. That's been part of this. Uh, Roberta, we've been programmed by the falsehoods around us in the world today to believe ourselves matter more than God. Philosophy has done this. Yes, absolutely. It's the worship of self. It's the idea that we're creating ourselves makes ourself the God that we serve. Um, and, and that is a obviously a theological error, but we just don't notice it. Uh, we just don't notice it because we don't know how to spot it. Okay. Uh, Heather Perkins, have you taken any heat for the hashtag department? Hell no. I have. I have taken some heat for that. It's interesting. I have tried to explain it. I'm not being flippant. Um, I don't say hell no all the time in my life. In fact, just now, this is the only context in which I say hell no. Um, but I don't feel bad about using it at all. The reason I had some suggestions, um, some of the suggestions were, so the reason I'm comfortable saying Department of Hell No is essentially I am being the person. We've all been in a minivan on a really long ride together and we're sitting in all this garbage around us. And really all I'm trying to say is I have a big garbage bag that has a Department of Hell No on it. Guys, like guys, Throw that junk away. Like you don't need to be picking through it to see if there's any salvageable materials here. Like why would you do that? This is garbage. So the reason I'm happy with Department of Hell No is because I'm I'm talking about the department of our response to this garbage. So some suggestions of it'd be okay if I if like it'd be shareable if we said Department of Damnation, which I wouldn't be comfortable with because that makes it seem as though I'm trying to set up a department in which I am damning things, which I don't think I have any kind of authority to do. Department of Hell No is a little lighthearted, yes, but it's also uh, it's also appropriate to the occasion, and, and I'm fine with that. So a little bit of heat, but but I don't think too much. Just pleasantly warm. Uh, okay. Jennifer, you talked about Sartre and his philosophy of do whatever you want, but are you aware of Aleister Crowley who actually coined the phrase, do what thou will shall be the whole of the law and actually wrote the book of the law. Interesting. I haven't read up on him <clears throat> lately, but yes, there's a lot. Part of the hard thing about trying to pinpoint philosophy is philosophy has always been a big conversation. It's always been like one philosopher says this, so it tends to be their big contributions. Um, and Sartre, We'll just move on to chapter four. Sartre is the one that we're talking about uh, that I really address in here. He he contributed to the existential movement. He contributed that important little phrase that um, existence precedes essence, that our essence is shaped by something that is not our existence, that we have to rise up and do something to be something. And so essentially we can make ourselves whatever we want to through our own actions. But there is no essential you until you've done something. Uh, this is one of the things that I think um, 
can't remember if it's in this chapter or the next chapter or somewhere in here. But what I'm trying to draw out is how much that assumption plays into our idea of abortion because the infant can't have done anything. And so the culturally, we don't think when God created that person, that person has all the value of a self. Instead, we think, well, they haven't done anything. They're not worth anything. Um, that And that's what our culture believes. Hopefully, Christians still have a conscience about that and notice it. But, but it is something that we get into a muddle about because we can't figure out why is there the same human value for that tiny soul inside of a woman as there is for the woman herself. And to the world, there's no comparison. The woman has made all these decisions and and become something with an actual essence, according to their thought process, where this infant only exists. And that is that is a, at the heart of a lot of our of a lot of our total uh, misunderstanding of each other. A lot of our total uh, inability to understand the argument uh, with each other. Okay, can you speak a little into the phenomenon of self branding and marketing? It's everywhere with authors, bloggers, YouTube channels. How should a Christian author or creators marketing? look different than others. Man, I don't know. I, I'm not in the world of self-branding, but I would say maybe a Christian's marketing should be making people angry. <laughs> no, I'm joking about that. I don't know why you would ask me about marketing um, plans when this is what I have been doing lately. But um, no, I don't have a lot to say about that. Self-development does have a ton of, a ton of this kind of um, nonsense in it. And so any of the, if you're talking about I don't watch the YouTube channels, but if what you're talking about is is building your brand, making yourself something, doing all this, it's it's just more outworking of the same philosophies. Uh, all right, Crystal, you're putting words to something that has made me vaguely uncomfortable for years. Good, I'm glad. Give you a handle on some of these things. Uh, Rebecca, how would you delineate self-care from subduing and glorifying or being kind to our husbands by keeping ourselves up? Is self-care different from that? I think I'm actually willing to just throw out throw out the terminology of self-care. The reason is because there are a ton of biblical words. We have all of the language we need for everything that we have. Um, we, don't, we don't need to say self-care if what we mean is rest. We don't need to say self-care if what we mean is worship. We don't need to say self-care if what we mean is enjoying God's creation. Um, or fellowship, that's not self-care. And the problem with the terminology of self-care is that even, even taking care of yourself is not self-care, it's obedience to God. It is, it is uh, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm exercising because I love my family and I love my God and I wanna have energy to serve him. That's a completely different thing than saying, I am caring for myself, this precious self that I curate, that I follow my own wants and my own needs because I am the God of the system. So one thing I think you see how insidious it is when it sneaks into the conversation, when women say, how can you say self-care is bad? My self-care is when I read my Bible. Uh, when did you become the distributor of the Bible to yourself? You know, when you think like, I bestow some of God's wisdom on myself, that is not what you're doing there. If you're reading your Bible, it's not self-care. It's honoring your God. It's obedience. It is, it is going to his word to be shaped. And I love my uncle said, you know, people approach the word of God like, like we have this cat laid out on the table and we're going to dissect it. And that's the, that's the idea between like, I'm going to go to the word and I'm going to see what I can learn there. Uh, but that's not actually a biblical approach. The biblical approach is I'm the cat and God's word is the knife 
Like I go to be worked on. I go to be changed. I don't go to his word because I'm somehow in charge of encouraging myself with his word. We go to his word because he's in charge and his word will change us. And so I think it's just these tiny little things that are insidious. They sneak in and we have a weird, weird understanding of what we're actually doing in these things. So no, I don't have a problem with many of the activities that would fall under the heading of self-care for a Christian, but I just don't, I think it's sort of like insisting on using the word gay all the time and saying it means happy. Um, when I went and looked at, when I used that Instagram hashtag, self-care is sacred, there's like what, 32,000 posts, self-care is sacred. It's because it's worshiping our God who is ourself. And Christians just, we've gotta be good with clear lines because if we're not good with clear lines, then we are missing all of our opportunities to share the gospel with the world that needs it. And so it is very important that we be okay with just saying, no, I'm honoring God here. I'm not participating in your self-care is sacred lifestyle. Okay, Megan, hi Meg. Uh, but this isn't nice is a common retort from other Christian women. What say you to the shushers? <laughs> I don't know, I guess I have just so far been saying, been still been being loud. Um, but it's not nice is one of the things about it not, I, thanks Alec. Drop and post-it notes guys. Um, one of the things about it not being nice is what's nice? like is what's nice is wanting women to be free from sin and bitterness and self-worship and this horrible cycle that's awful. Uh, niceness is wanting women to actually look to Christ and be free of all of this. And so if you can't get to that point without saying, hey, this whole situation you have going is a hot mess, then then kindness is, is pointing that out. Kindness is saying there's a better way. Love is willing to annoy your sister with the truth. And it's not because you want to annoy her, it's because you want her to see the truth, right? It's not because we're saying, oh, I just delight in making the women angry. Um, I don't delight in making the, angry, the women angry, but I delight in the women and seeing the fruit of that, I delight in that. I love to see women who actually are like, oh my goodness, I need to wake up and see um, what God has actually called me to. All right. Jennifer, my daughter wants to show love to and love her friends for who they are and how they choose to live if it makes them happy, even if it bothers her. She pushes her feelings aside and denies her feelings because the young people have bought into this philosophy of if it makes you happy, do it, love yourself. Yeah, this is a, this is a, a hard thing to learn that you have to differentiate yourself. So I think there's a video coming out soon where I say this, but if you just want to show love to everyone and you say, oh, I love my Christian sisters and I love my unbelieving friends from the gym and I love these people. And then the idea usually from Christian women is that with this kindness and this never being harsh to people, what I'm going to do here is show them the love of Christ. But if you ever get that opportunity, you have nothing to show them. When you have that opening, you're like, oh, I've made so many compromises here. Um, you can't say, on the one hand, I, I love my hot, my red hot, <laughs> don't mean hot, hot, physically hot. Um, I love my friends who are on fire for the Lord, and I love these who are cold for the Lord, and I'm going to be a vessel for both, which just makes you lukewarm, and God will spit that out, right? So this is not, you don't want to do that. You can't just be open to everything. Um, loving God should be your priority, and every other love that we have beneath that has to be in line with what uh, God has told us. 
Uh, Katie, hell is a place, not a swear word. True, totally true, except for it is also true that saying hell no is a play on a, uh, I think typically people who mind hell is because they connect it with taking the Lord's name in vain, taking his position, and what I'm, I'm not doing that, uh, that's what I was explaining about the trash bag, and why I wouldn't use something like Department of Damnation or Department of Hell, because that would be sort of uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, all right, word police swallowing the camel, straining the gnat. Okay, Jennifer, the reason I ask is because Crowley was actually the father of the modern Satanist church in the occult, so the idea of what you want is a second grace lie out there, second to you shall be like God. Right, and actually, um, and actually, one thing about Sartre, one of Sartre's most famous lines is hell is other people. That was from his play No Exit, um, which is actually, it's all a real nesting craziness because I think that play No Exit is actually about his own his own tangled love affairs with um, what you know he really wanted to sleep with Olga and the play is about Olga and Wanda was the sister that he did get and Olga was sleeping with his mistress Simone de Beauvoir it's a huge tangle of crazy bad sexual ideas um, and that famous quote hell is other people is from the end of that play now at the same time what's interesting is is hell is actually devotion to the self with no god uh, hell is a different picture entirely than than what um, Sartre describes okay uh, Catherine the what have you self-care and self-pity was super helpful for this question oh that's great thank you for the recommend uh, what have you is a podcast I do with my sister where we talk about sometimes silly things what we're doing in life and then some of the bigger issues so there's a recommended episode uh, Cassie your response to self-care is the best thank you you're very welcome I do say sometimes I think we haven't we haven't done that video on self-care yet have we Jake, that one didn't come out yet, did it? So there is one about this, but I, so there will be a video coming out sometime soon about um, self-care and rest. Okay, Hannah, hi, I have some family members bringing ungodly people into our family. Uh, my brother is living with and had a chat with his girlfriend, et cetera, and his girlfriend has expressed some interest in Christianity. Uh, she is currently buried by her current lifestyle, and I think she needs God, uh, and as a result would benefit from your godly wisdom. Would you suggest your book to a baby Christian, or should I wait until she can handle the weightier matters? Um, I would actually go ahead and ask her if she's interested in reading it with you. Just say, I keep thinking of you about this. Would you like to read it and discuss it? And if it seems clear that she's bogged down on, wait, what is salvation? Well, then that's a clear opening to say, oh, well, let's let's work through on this other thing. So um, feel free to try it if you keep thinking of her. Why not? All right, uh, Tara, I was just discussing with my daughter that we need to pay attention to the words that we use and what they actually mean. No more self-care. Right, I agree. Also, I didn't know when we st when I started writing this book, I was writing it because I had, because um, it had been on my mind for a while, and I thought, oh, this is relevant. But in God's good timing, 2019 was named the year of the self or something, even the cookie monster. <laughs> even the cookie monster is all about self-care. Um, I think I think it is it's amazing you know it's like this is a year where everyone it is like open selfishness is considered kind of a act of piety it's it's an amazing amazing thing okay I'm gonna move on here from start uh, briefly oh Hannah follow up to my previous question about my brother's girlfriend I'm not worried about annoying her I just know that your words would be very offensive to to her because it's contrary to everything she stands for and currently understands 
uh, but obviously doesn't find comfort in. Well, just pray about it. Sometimes I just pray like, Lord, let me be what this person needs and not what I want to give because it turns out often what I think I would like to give is not what they need and God has a different plan. So just look for your opportunities. <laughs> I choked myself. All right. Uh, Leslie, tips for raising up kids to have the covenants you grew up with, knowing you belong to God. Chapter one, does this just naturally happen when the parents have a good grasp on these things? Um, I think my parents were, what my parents were really strong on was confession of sin, being in fellowship with God. Uh, when you are in fellowship with God, when you're worshiping with his people, when you are surrounded by Christians, what ended up happening for us um, and I do speak for my brother and sister too, who none of us have ever wandered from the faith, um, that what what happens is you can no more doubt who you are than your child at the dinner table night after night starts being like, wait, do I belong here? Like they've been there every day their whole life. This is, they're in this fellowship. They know that they belong here. Um, I think it is obviously God's gift. The fellowship is, a, is God's gift. Um, Christian parents is God's gift, but you know you belong there. I do remember uh, sometime in my, and, and you know with my own children, we often comfort them when they're feeling horribly guilty about something. You know, it's just like, this is because your God loves you. This is because you have his name on you and he will not let you be comfortable with sin. And this is a sweet gift. This is a wonderful thing. And so we don't think it's something we're doing until God's work. Uh, but God, in his grace, uses our efforts and faithfulness. And he, and he uh, gives so much more fruit, so much more than, than the work that we are doing. We just faithfully do what we're told. And, and God gives us his fruit. I remember sometime when I was little, worrying all of a sudden that I wasn't a Christian. And I ran to my mom and I was like, what if I'm not a Christian? What if all the rest of you are Christians and I'm not? What if I lost this? And I remember she just looked at me. It was like she was cooking or something. She just looked at me. She said, oh, Rachel, we know you are. We see fruit. And the, the peace of that, the peace of, of someone in your life just saying, I see that you love God. We see the fruit. And it was like, oh, okay. Yay. But it's also not a now kickback on cruise control. It's continued, continue to walk faithfully. So you have lots of opportunities. Uh, all right, Amy, I thought the context of that quote uh, from Second Colossians was about circumcision. Uh, the chapter finishes with an admonition against legalism. The quote about about vain philosophies, that I, it can include that, but it is certainly talking about, I should pull it out. I shall find it. Um, okay. Uh, so as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, world not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. It's, it's certainly talking about the whole Christian life here, walking in him that, you're, that you are planted in. All right, Nathan, thanks for doing what you're doing. I appreciate your wisdom and approach. I'm a big fan of your father. Thanks. I am a big fan of his also. Uh, Elaine, I'm going to need you to develop this as a book study with video and workbook for women's study like ASAP. <laughs> all right, thanks. Good to know. And Roberta, wouldn't it be great if this was a weekly gathering? 
uh, would be great. It would be great in some ways. It would be great. Um, okay, let's move on. I think we're going to run out of, there's no way we're going to get through all these chapters. The next chapter was about uh, Maslow, about the pinnacle. I think this, this one, the pinnacle of self-actualization. This is the hierarchy of needs with the big goal being at the top, self-actualizing. This is used all over the place, college counseling. Um, Maslow took the understanding of the existentialists and he built on this. He was kind of the father of, um, of human, humanistic psychology. So most psychology involves some of his work. He was trying to build a positive vision for how humans can become the greatness that they want to be, have that moment where all is right with the world, etc. And um, I'm going to fly through this and tell you that Christians agree with him that man is not right with the world. The problem is we believe that everything starts instead of this triangle like this, where we work our way up to the top. Uh, we believe it's, it's like inverted. It starts with your salvation, where you're put right with God, where everything is right here. And then we work that out through our lives. So Maslow is sort of the source of when people say things like, I need to find a spouse that will help me be my best self, or I'm going to do, um, you know, those, those sorts of things. It's trying to build yourself to your best self is an influence of Maslow. Uh, and it is also an unbelieving influence. And, and the Christian approach should be completely different if we actually look at it uh, head on. All right, chapter six is the narrative of you. The goal here uh, in this chapter was to talk about what we have kind of now, this mashup of Sartre's ideas, Maslow's practical angle, and then we have people thinking that we're shaping our own lives through kind of a narrative understanding of the self, that as I get, um, as I get, you know, interested in this thing, I add this to my identity, and I add this to my identity. And this is what I was talking about in, this, in the self-care section. Um, that I was talking about when you say that Jesus or your time in the word is like something that you are, you are doing for yourself, then it's like you're saying I'm crafting my identity. And one of them is one of the little stickers I put, I use the image of bumper stickers on your car. Um, one of the bumper stickers I put on my car is I love Jesus. So um, it's not, it is not, about us like that. God, Jesus is not looking for a sponsorship, sponsorship position in your life. Um, if he bought you, he's the whole thing. He's the whole story. He's in charge of it all. Not like, oh, that's one little thing about me is that sometimes I'm a, sometimes I'm a Christian. Um, should be all the time that you're a Christian. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see. Elaine, can you post the table of contents if you don't get to it? I think our group will study through this. Uh, hey, Roberta, get together with a friend and do it on your own. Could be so encouraging. Ariel, I have to remind myself daily that Jesus called, to, uh, called us to take up our cross. And he called us to take up our cross daily. So it's a, it's a daily activity. Uh, Bridget, I appreciate this info for Christian women. So needed. Uh, Jennifer, the most profound thing that someone taught me was that the true opposite of love isn't hate but selfishness. Uh, it changed my life. It's great. Okay, Jake, what do you want to do? Are we going to end at 11? Or do you want to... I made it, guys. Sort of breathlessly here. Almost made it through chapter six. Um, what do you want to do? Do you want to questions real quick? I'm gonna leave it up to you. Okay, I'll just see if I can fly through. I think we're there's no questions I haven't answered. Questions? Well, I'm not right now. So I'll just keep going for a few more minutes. See if I can bomb through. 
see if I can get us through at least a little, a couple more chapters. Okay, chapter seven was a chapter on hate. Now, because we blew through that bit about the narrative view of self and how you're creating your own identity, I hope that you can see, oh, no, there was something I meant to say. Guys, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back, skipping back to the start section. Um, one of the things that I think about what's so interesting about the history is I'm not sure why it, why Sartre's ideas were so, um, why they were so successful. It was it's shocking to me. The fact that Sartre was a five foot lull-eyed man who was hallucinating all the time and some gorgeous tidbits I left out of the book. I'll tell you now. This is the inside track. He, people who knew him at the time said his like descriptions of him were he was really dirty, that he smelled horrible, that his whole neck was covered in blackheads, and that his fingers were stained with nicotine because he was always smoking. Um, and he was wall-eyed, and he had a really bad trip on mescaline, so he thought he was literally being chased by crabs all the time, um, it, like crabs actual crabs, um, and one time ran through the st streets of Paris being chased by the crabs. <laughs> um, but this man, for all of his failings, somehow really got a lot of momentum um, in the philosophical world. And one of the reasons I think so is that people were just really hungry. It was a gospel moment. Um, that's the thing that I believe it was a moment when it was at right after World War II. Well, Sartre's work was throughout World War II um, and after. But that people were so looking for big answers to these problems. And it, the reason I brought this up is this is why I think it's so important now that we be talking about this because culturally we are in the same kind of gospel moment. We have not had the world war, but who can look at our culture today and not say that, that everyone is searching for who they are and everyone because all these lies that most of us are bombarded with these are lies to people who are generally speaking put together humans this is at your workplace where you're going for business development or um at your at your gym where you're keeping fit and active or on pinterest where you're looking for home decorating things it's in all these places but what there but there is a huge swath of our society who is being lied to all the time, and, and they are so confused about identity, so hungry for the gospel, that what we're doing instead is you know, putting our young children on opposite sex hormones, that we're, you know, we have this major chaos about not knowing who we are. And if the Christians, if the women like you all who are here listening, can't tell the difference between an unbelieving philosophy of the self and a believing one, we are not equipped to share the gospel with the world that desperately needs it right now. And so part of the reason that I think this is so exciting right now is I think the more people we can have actually seen this as a gospel issue, the better, because the more people uh, need to hear it. And I know my my grandfather has pointed this out before, but that, that passage about, um, about the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And if you think about that, think about that's true in our culture today that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And the thing that is so brutal about that is the way my grandpa put it. He said, which what that means is that there are more people who want to hear the good news than there are Christians who want to tell it to them. And that should be so convicting because if you know the good news, you need to be willing to say the hard things and share the good news with the people who actually are dying to hear it who want to hear it. And you have to get, you have to get through 
yeah, some awkward moments, but, but so what? Isn't it worth it? Like, isn't it worth it to say things that are not popular uh, if there is someone who so desperately wants to hear that good news? And so that's why I would say we are in a similar gospel moment right now. I don't know all the crisis that brought this about in our culture today, but it is an absolute fact that it is happening. And I think the more Christians we have totally tuned into it and, and willing to share um, an opposing viewpoint and it's actually good news is that's a wonderful uh thing okay i'll see if i let's see uh, ellie what is so sad is that if you look at things like surveys of women's happiness or children's emotional well-being from the change to a more existential uh view until now it's gone consistently down selfishness has been tried uh has been tried and found wanting but we do not want to give it up isn't that the truth nobody really had a great joy uh through pursuing selfishness uh, Bridget, amen, it's definitely a gospel issue. Uh, Abby, can you talk about how feminism historically and modern day has thrown fuel on the fire of these philosophies? I actually think feminism is just part of the fruit of it. It's part of this, if you think you need to create who you, like if we think we're creating who we are, any kind of a situation that says we're, um, like I in the book, I bring up how if a woman's creating who she is, Anything that is holding her back from being what she wants to be is going to be seen as oppression. And so that's why an unwanted pregnancy, if you believe these humanistic philosophies, you absolutely have to admit, if you, if you start with that assumption, you have to admit that women are in a worse position than men to be full humans. It's a natural outcropping because you say, well, if I get pregnant, then my whole story is derailed by something I did not choose. I didn't choose this, I want to make myself. And so this is why I think, I don't wanna just talk about feminism, there's been a lot of Christian work on that. I wanna back it up and say, how did we start out with these assumptions that make us so angry at the condition of being a woman that God clearly created us as a, as a woman? And much of what's gonna make us angry is, is, um, is that we believe we're supposed to shape ourselves, so those things, so any obstacle to that, anything is, is a big outrage in that way. Okay, uh, Leslie, amen, so convicted and excited to labor hard. Thanks for being such a great, are you ready for this cheerleader? I'm ready for it, Leslie. Uh, your dreams have truly come true, go fight one. At the beginning, if you haven't read this yet, I revealed my dark secret that as a child, I told my parents I couldn't decide what I wanted to be, either a missionary or a cheerleader. It's a real question, it's a real problem. Um, and what ended up in that, I rem still remember everyone falling apart laughing about that. And it was really only a few years ago that we were like, isn't it odd that that's sort of what I ended up doing? <laughs> Something so ridiculous. Uh, all right, Rhea, self-delusion will forever now come to mind as don't be, don't be the person chased by crabs. Perfect. Uh, Nathan, any quick tips for a father of four girls under six? Yeah. Be in the word. Be willing to be a, a hard wall to your daughters. Be willing to say to say the hard things and to say um, what God has called them to is obedience and not self-discovery. Uh, Elaine, our culture and even our churches are sending people to psychology and answers of the world. The cure is the gospel, but we don't call the problem sin. Yes, amen. Sin is definitely our problem. Uh, Tina. Well-known Zig Ziglar gave advice to women who felt lacking that if they felt they needed breast implants to feel better about themselves to be more successful, they should do it. 
This from Christian motivational speakers. Uh, I personally was placed in hard words time with family over this godly man's advice. This is not an easy task. I love you who, I love you who, <laughs> and all you have brought to lighten it. Thank you. Thanks for uh, reading it. Lisa, yes, if you believe everything's holding you back and you must get rid of it, you will end up very alone and lonely in your own echo chamber. Isn't that the truth? All right, Janet, I read Nancy Wilson's book, Learning Contentment, just before I read your book, and I felt like they fit perfectly together. Just That's my mom. Go, mom. Way to go. Good book. Um, Sarah, let's see. Uh, Heather, I love everything you're saying. Can't wait to read your book and be challenged. I would love to be pointed to even more things to read or watch on the topic of the self from a Christian perspective. Uh, Rebecca Nugent, hmm, a man suggesting a woman get implants to feel better about herself. How spiritual. Yes, what a nice comment to end this whole thing on. All right, thank you all for coming. Uh, thank you for your interest in the book. Thank you for keeping the conversation going. Um, I love that you're all being willing to have the difficult conversations with the women in your life. And we'll be back next week and we'll see if we even get through the chapters. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the All of Christ for All of Life podcast. That was part one of Rachel Jankovic's webinar, The You Who Read Along. Don't forget, you can get You Who on audio today at audible.com.